My name is Lily Madden, and I'm a proud Aranda, Bunjalung, Kalkadun woman from Gadigal country. The Daily Oz acknowledges that this podcast is recorded on the lands of the Gadigal people and pays respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander nations. We pay our respects to the first peoples of these countries, both past and present. Good morning and welcome to The Daily Oz. It's Tuesday the 27th of June. I'm Zara. I'm Nina. A plan to overthrow the Russian army and its leadership has been unsuccessful. The most significant challenge to Russian President Vladimir Putin's two decades in power lasted only about 24 hours. Their mutiny bringing the country to the brink of chaos less than 24 hours ago. The chief of the Wagner military group has made an abrupt about face, abandoning his armed mutiny and sending his troops back to their field camps. While the uprising was stopped in its tracks, it did raise some very important questions about Vladimir Putin's leadership and the future of the Ukraine-Russia war. We're going to look at what has happened and what could come next in today's Deep Dive, but first the headlines. Former New South Wales MP Daryl Maguire has been charged with giving false evidence to the New South Wales anti-corruption watchdog in 2018. Meanwhile, there's been a separate anti-corruption inquiry involving Maguire and former New South Wales Premier Gladys Berejiklian. The findings from that investigation will be handed down on Thursday. The federal government has announced $110 million in new funding to support Ukraine. The money will go towards 70 military vehicles and ammunition. PM Anthony Albanese said Australia is unwavering in its support for Ukraine. A historic number of Muslims are expected to gather in Mecca, Saudi Arabia for the Hajj pilgrimage this year. Pandemic-related rules will be fully relaxed for the first time since they were introduced, and more than 2.5 million Muslims are expected to take part. And the good news, a small reptile species has been seen in Victoria for the first time in over 50 years. The Victorian grassland Eelis dragon was last spotted in 1969 and was thought to be extinct. Zoos Victoria CEO Dr Jenny Gray said the rediscovery inspires optimism for the species' recovery. Zara, I was on a plane all of Friday and Saturday, and I think I missed some pretty huge news, which seems to be a theme at TDA. It does. Get on a plane and something drastic happens. What did I miss? So while you were on the plane returning from your lovely holiday, uh, the rest of us were getting bombarded with these news alerts about a situation unfolding in Russia. And it has to do with a group called the Wagner Group and its leader, Yevgeny Prigozhin. What ultimately ended up happening was that the Wagner Group attempted a rebellion, a mutiny of sorts. After hours of unrest, Prigozhin ultimately called off his troops and he agreed to leave the country. But while the coup was ultimately cancelled, questions remain about the future of Vladimir Putin's leadership. Before we get to that big picture stuff about Mm -hmm. what this all means for Putin and the war moving forward... Should we start with the group responsible for this uprising? Mm -hmm. What do we need to know about this Wagner group? So the Wagner group is what's called a mercenary group, which, to be completely honest, I didn't know what that meant before this weekend. But it essentially just means that its soldiers have been hired to fight. So they're not Russia's military. They're not Russia's army. They've been hired to fight in basically a private military outfit. So the Wagner group was helping Russia to fight in Ukraine, but was doing so as a separate entity to Russia's army. 
But while the Wagner Group has been separate to the Russian army, they have fought alongside them, especially in the fight against Ukraine. We'd heard of them because of the role that they'd played in capturing the Ukrainian city of Bakhmut, for example. To give you a sense of how big the Wagner Group actually is, the UK Ministry of Defence said back in January that the group had an estimated 50,000 fighters. So this is not a small group by any stretch of the imagination. And what's interesting about them is that a lot of them had actually been recruited from prisons. So they're ex-convicts who are now serving in this private military group. One of the really interesting things about this group is the person who leads it, Mm. Yevgeny Prigozhin. Um, And it's not just the people in this group that have served time in prison. What do we know about him? Yeah, exactly. Prigozhin himself has spent time in prison. He served a nine-year sentence reportedly for robbery in the 80s. After he was released from prison, he started to sell hot dogs. That's why you might have seen lots of headlines from hot dog to military leader before he eventually opened his own restaurant and then a catering company. That catering company isn't a small one. It has a lot of contracts with the Kremlin and that earned him the nickname Putin's chef, which I'm not sure Putin would be too thrilled about after this weekend. That's quite a journey from prison to hot dog king mm. to Putin's chef. Now he's involved in the war and this attempted uprising we saw on the weekend. Mm. How did he get to that point? So Prigozhin is the leader of the Wagner group. Again, that is the group that is this private military that is led by him. And he has been an extremely vocal critic of Russia's handling of the war against Ukraine. Because he's the head of this group that has a fair bit of power, he himself has a lot of power and a big platform to discuss his feelings and his thoughts about the war. And over the last few months, Prigozhin has accused military leaders of incompetence and he suggested that the Wagner group hasn't been adequately equipped to keep fighting in Ukraine. So he was agitating for more resources for his group. He was, and that had maintained this growing momentum, but it escalated significantly on Friday local time when Prigozhin went a step further, saying that the official reason given by Russia and Putin for invading Ukraine was actually based on lies. And he said he wanted to punish the military leadership and that he was willing to go all the way against them. I think that's a really important point because this whole conflict, a big part of the messaging from Putin and Mm. from Russia has been that this is an ideological war that they're fighting. Well, also that there's only been this singular messaging. Exactly. you, You have only heard Putin's version and the military leadership's version. There has been no alternative perspectives. So Prigozhin started speaking out, sharing his perspective. How did things escalate? Well, In what turned out to be a very dramatic couple of hours, he claimed to have 25,000 fighters actually attempting to take over the Russian capital of Moscow. In the hours after the initial advances, local governors ordered citizens to stay indoors. And I mean, here in Australia, we were watching these videos emerge of tanks and military vehicles just streaming through a Russian city. Wagner fighters reportedly managed to take control of military facilities in two Russian cities. That was a big stand against a leader who's been presenting himself as a very strong figurehead in Mm. this war. How did Putin respond? Well, late on Friday night, Putin delivered an emergency televised address, which you know is not good news. He accused Prigozhin of a betrayal and he said that it was a knife in the back of the country. He said, and I quote, those who are attempting to stage a revolt and are pushing the country towards anarchy will inevitably be punished and will answer before the law. 
Putin ordered the Russian army to attack the rebel forces, the Wagner Group, but he said that the situation was, quote, difficult. And how was Prigozhin sounding at this point in the conflict? I mean, obviously there was a (laughs) differing perspective there. Prigozhin said that Putin was deeply mistaken to call the rebellion a betrayal. He said, we are patriots of our homeland. We do not want the country to live on corruption, deceit and bureaucracy. Putin's words didn't dissuade Prigozhin. His troops continued to advance towards Moscow, where they were met by retaliation from Russian forces. News service Reuters reported video of convoys being fired at from helicopters along major highways, and that Russia had set up reinforced checkpoints on the southern edge of Moscow. But things eventually turned around, so what changed the course? So when we went to bed on Saturday night, there was this talk of a potential civil war. When we woke up, it was just over in a literal sense. Wagner troops were only about 400 kilometres away from Moscow when a deal was announced by Belarusian state media. Prigozhin called off the advances. He called off the troops that were heading towards Moscow. He also said that he would leave Russia for Belarus in return for charges against him and his group being dropped. So that was the negotiation they reached. Exactly. And it was a deal that was brokered by Belarusian leader and Putin ally Alexander Lukashenko. And Lukashenko said it was to, quote, avoid bloodshed. When all is said and done, Putin avoided a full rebellion, a full takeover. As he said, things were right on the edge, but he managed to turn things around. My question is, though, now that it is over, why is it still important? What does this all say about Putin as a leader and where we're at in this war? I think that's why I said it in a literal sense it was over. But, I mean, it, it absolutely lives on and the consequences live on, I was looking at tweets on Saturday night saying this was the most important thing that had happened in that region in the last 50 years, and it's not to be underestimated. There hasn't been a viable threat to Putin's leadership in a really long time, and I think this showed that there are signs of cracks in Russia's position in the war, but also in Putin's leadership. And so I think countries around the world were very keenly watching, I mean, none more so than Ukraine, but were keenly watching what would happen because of the huge geopolitical consequences. This was US Secretary of State Antony Blinken speaking to CNN about what this all means. Think about it this way. 16 months ago, uh, Russian forces were on the doorstep of, uh, of Kiev, Ukraine, thinking they were going to take the city in a matter of days, erase the country from the map. <laughs> now, Uh, They had to be focused on defending Moscow, Russia's capital, against mercenaries of Putin's own making. Uh, So this raises lots of uh, profound questions that will be answered, I think, in the days and weeks ahead. Ukrainian officials have said the chaos caused by the failed uprising works to Kiev's advantage. But we're going to have to wait and see what comes next. And I think it's too early to tell whether it will have a really significant impact on the war or not. Thanks for joining us today on The Daily Oz. If you learned something from today's episode, we would love it if you could leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast right now. It really helps us get the word out there that we're here bringing this pod to you every weekday morning. We'll be back again tomorrow. Until then, have a great day.